0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and we have a jam-packed show. We have so many things. We're going to the lab with my man Drew Doherty. Mike Haas, play-by-play man for the Saints, is going to join Mark and our men behind the mics. we got Robert Brazil, Hall of Famer, going to join us later in the show. How about Dalton Schultz with DP City for the Deep Slant Interview of the Week? Man, there's so much, but it's Wednesday. So you know what that means. Nick Casario right off the top rope. Let's go.
1: And here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, we have executive vice president and general manager Nick Casario. Nick, welcome. Great to have you with us. And I know it's great to talk football. Very serious things going on in the world as well, though.
2: Yeah, I think it's important just for all of us to acknowledge kind of the occurrences in the Middle East. Um, There's probably people that are directly or indirectly that either we know or that are in our building or that have some affiliation that are, are, have been affected by what's gone on over the weekend. Um, I think a lot of times we get caught up in sort of our day to day and focus on football and wins and losses, which we have a job to do, but it's also important to acknowledge, you know, the sanctity of human life um, and the the travesty and the tragedy and the devastation that has taken place um, and and, uh, in Israel. So, um, you know, I think it's just important for us to acknowledge and provide support where we can um, to the best of our ability.
1: All right. Well, thank you for saying that, Nick. And uh, let's get into week six here as the Texans are coming off the game against Atlanta. And what do you make of what you saw on Sunday? There were some encouraging things, but there are also some things that you definitely want to correct going into the Saints game as you return home.
2: Yeah, had our moments, uh, put ourselves in a position uh, to win the game. Ultimately, Atlanta made a few more plays at the end. Um, that resulted in the uh, the game winning kick there, um, you know, in the fourth quarter. So um, we did some decent things um, offensively. Didn't turn the ball over. Defensively, we were able to take the ball away, which has been a huge emphasis. I'd say on a weekly basis for us. Um, just, I'd say it's really it comes down to execution and, and details more than anything. And D'Amico kind of talked about that with the team to the team. Um, so if we can clean some areas up, we've put ourselves in a position just about every week, um, giving ourselves an opportunity to win. Um, even going back to Baltimore, we I 7-6 at halftime in the second half, things kind of got away from us. But know, had an opportunity against Indy, You know, played better against Jacksonville and uh, you know Pittsburgh, um, and had a chance here against Atlanta, against a good team. So hopefully we can get some of the things cleaned up. Uh, I can't let what happened on Sunday affect what goes on this week. New team, new set of circumstances, new set of challenges. Uh, hopefully the players come to work with the right mindset here this week, try to have a good week, um, and try to go into the bye week on a positive note. So um, be a big challenge in front of us for sure with what New Orleans uh, presents.
0: Nick, one of the things that's stood out to me the last three, four weeks in particular, I guess all season too, the end-of-half, end-of-game situations, the rookie quarterback kind of managing all that, but you kicked the field goal essentially on the last play of the half in the three games – and in a two-minute drive in the fourth quarter, when you got to have it for a touchdown, you go and score inside of two minutes—a touchdown. What what does that speak to? Not only about the offense, just everything that goes on, the operation, et cetera, that you've been so good in those situational uh, opportunities. Yeah,
2: it's really it's everybody involved. It's the players, it's the coaches. Say so it's the communication, understanding of what's needed in those particular situations. What we're trying to accomplish. What are we trying to do? understanding the context of the game, where are we with the timeouts, where are we with the time left, not giving the ball back to the opponent. i um, say two-minute situations, it's something that's practiced, and I think everybody understands the intent of what yep. you're trying to do. But it's credit to the players' understanding. It's a credit to the coaches and everybody involved, and we're able to execute it the way we have, like you mentioned, at the end of some halves – I mean, hopefully that's something that we is a strength of ours that we can continue moving forward.
1: Yeah, and the development of the offense and C.J. Stroud running it, you have opponents that handle him in different ways as these weeks go on, right? There's a constant chess match going on as you go week to week. Can you speak to that a little bit? You're
2: talking specifically the end of the half, or just just in general offensive execution?
1: Sure, absolutely.
2: I mean, you go into the game, and whoever you're playing, whatever they're doing defensively, here are the things that they're good at. Here are the things that we have to be cognizant of. Here are the things that we're trying to take away from them. There's going to be things that they try to take away from us. So it's understanding the personnel, it's understanding the scheme, it's understanding the philosophy of how they want to play. And then we've talked about this on the show once you get through the first quarter. The game usually declares itself in terms of how it's being played, how they're calling it, what's working for us. So then being able to adjust and adapt continually as you go. And then when you get to the end of game, it's similar to the end of half. It comes down to situational execution. Um, Not that the game is going to change all that drastically, but you're just in a different thought process and a different mindset opposed to, okay, first and second down. Now you're, okay, two-minute situation, the clock's running down trying not to give the ball to the opponent, trying to score with the least amount of time possible. We're trying to prevent them from getting down the field and getting field goal range. So there's just more situational components and elements that come up at the end of half, and then once you get to the end of the game as well. And when you look around the league, even watch the Monday night game last night, it came down as really situational yep. execution, both at the end of half and at the, end of the, at the end of the game there as well. I mean, fourth and one with 220 left, missed a field goal, Green Bay's got to score a touchdown, be really able to get a stop, and there's the football game. So mm. it happens in, I don't want to say, just about every game. It's usually the majority of the games kind of end up in that situation. There's a few that the score might get tilted one way or the other, but that's life in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I think it's life in college football too. I think the University of Miami found that out, uh, not being good <laughs> at the end of games, but that's me saying that. Kneel on uh, the ball. Yes, exactly. Listen to your coaches, the other one. <laughs> Nick, I'm sure – Like Mark, like me, you may get it when you're out shopping for groceries and doing the things that you do out and about town, and you get get asked the question, Nick, what about the run game? What about the run game? Because there are flashes, there are bright flashes you see. There's a 15-yard run, and then you find one that's not a 15-yard run uh, for a loss. So there's some good things happening, but then it's not happening consistently enough. What do you see, and what can help the run game, you think, going forward?
2: Yeah, it's never one thing. I mean, it could be a block here, a read there, running into a bad look. The defense does a good job. So there's a lot of components yep. that go into it. Um, some of the negative runs put us in some longer yardage situations. So they had a good call, or maybe we could have executed a little bit better. But, you know, that's the run game. So I'd say most runs are designed to hopefully get three or four yards because then it puts you in a second and six, second and seven. So you just want to keep it moving forward. So um, certainly not for lack of effort. You know, we've had our moments, like you mentioned, uh, certainly something. There's always things that we can improve just individually and as a team collectively. So whatever we can do to try to improve the situation, that's our responsibility to try to do it. So there have been enough good examples. We have good players. We have good line. We have good backs. So we just have to put it all together. Sometimes you got to get tip your hat to the defense as well because they may have a call that is sort of built for what you
1: call offensively, and that's the way it goes sometimes. Nick, Johnny, and I are writing a song called "The Ballad of Derek Rivers" (laughs) uh, because Derek Rivers has been who's the lead singer. Yeah, I uh, might, I might it's, try it's to vocalize yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it. But it's just interesting because he's been up and down. And even if you go to his Wikipedia page, very often these pages have every transaction associated with the players. Now with Derek, it just says a flurry of moves because he goes up and down. Can you speak to that a little bit about how you do those things? And not necessarily just him, but with the practice squad flexibility? Yeah, nothing's ever really
2: pre-planned. Sometimes you're trying to take inventory of where you are that week think about the game, think about where we're going to be. Say players moving on and off of rosters, sometimes you start or typically you start with the players that are likely going to be inactive. If you have to make an activation or you have to sign somebody, I'd say we've had to use their term a flurry of players and mm-hmm. activity of players coming back from injury. So if a player goes from an off-the-roster status IR and you're going to activate them, so you're going to have to figure out ways to get them on the team – so there's the 53-man active roster component, but also manage your practice squad as well. So there's never – nothing's ever linear. Mm-hmm. It's, I'd say, constantly changing and evolving. Yep. And it's really a week-to-week endeavor. So we try to do the best we can. I think and we've been, let would say, pretty consistent from the beginning. We try to keep as many people in the building as possible that we want to continue to work with. Um, Derek is certainly a player that that fits that category and fits that bill. So as far as the roster mechanizations and just the adjustments we have to make, sometimes they're day-to-day, week-to-week, and you just take the information that you have, try to make a right decision, a good decision, and then just move forward. So um, I'd say his case, I want to say, is maybe at times a little extreme, but there's plenty of players that go on and off rosters They're on the roster. They're off the roster. They're elevated to the game. I mean, I think we've seen, you know, however many elevations that take place on a weekly basis, which are significant. I mean, you guys see the transactions that take place. So some of this is the minutiae and the day-to-day of just NFL business and transactions.
0: Yeah, that's... It is minutiae, I would imagine, for you, but getting the right team. That's why I say every single week is a season because it feels like it is a completely different seven day animal from one week to the next. And this animal coming up, the New Orleans Saints, Nick coming into the building. Um, we know a lot of the players, a lot of the names, or people are familiar with them. What have you seen? What's the scouting report on the New Orleans Saints? Yeah,
2: I'd say big picture, very well coached, and a lot of continuity. Just they have a number of players that returned from last season. Um, They've incorporated some younger players um, into their program. Um, But I'd say Dennis has done a good job in his second year, has a good feel. They made a change as defensive coordinator – um, but Dennis is a huge part of what they're doing, and then Pete has been there for I want to say 20 some odd years. I mean Pete, you know Carmichael has been there a long time. Yeah. So I um, mean, a big change for them offensively was assigning a Derek in the off season. Um, Derek's been a good player, um, been very productive, very durable player. Um, and they have a very good complement of skilled players. Um, they always have they all haven't been available at one time. Coincidentally, they're all available when they play the Texans. So Kamara (laughs) returned last week, so he's playing. Mm. Mike Thomas has been available. Mike's been a really good football player. Um, Alave's been out there. Alave had a great season as a rookie. So, And they sort of reshaped, and they have a couple guys hurt um, at tight end position, but sort of reshaped the tight end position and have made a huge investment in the offensive line. I think they have four or five first-round picks on the offensive line. So, um, And they have a good system, and they have a good scheme. Um, and I think the guy who it contributes not only offensively but is a huge factor in a kicking game is Shahid. Yep. So he's again here's a player who wasn't drafted, kind of came out of nowhere, who is a factor offensively, big playability, combo returner. I mean, he certainly presents a lot of problems. So there's a player that they're starting to incorporate a little bit more. Drafted Miller um, in the third or fourth round, kid from TCU. Yep. Um, he's backing up Kamara. So. I think they're starting to hit their stride here a little bit offensively. They have a full complement of players that's available. And then defensively, I mean, they're basically top five in every major category. Um, points, rush yards, turnovers, a combination of experienced players in Tyron, DeMario Davis, Cam Jordan, and then juxtapose that with players like Alante Taylor in his second year who's transitioned to kind of being in their slot corner, kind of basically took uh, Roby's spot. Um, and the Lattimore is as good of a corner as there is in the league. And then Brzee, the kid from Clemson, has given them some good snaps on the interior. So good defensive line. I would say two really, really good linebackers in, in, uh, in Davis and Werner in terms of a pair. They're really a nickel defense. And then in the, in the secondary, uh, Marcus May, they signed him for agency. They get him back off suspension. You know, Tyron's been a good player for a long time. Um, and then they've done a good job of corner. And then I would say – I mean, them are Baltimore, probably the best kicking game group we're going to see this season in terms mm. of their core players. JT Gray is outstanding. Lonnie's actually done a really good job finding a niche and a role, Lonnie yep. Johnson, in the kicking game. Um, they turned over the punter and the kicker, um, you know, two rookies, but they've done a good job. So, I mean, it's going to be a huge challenge for us in all three phases. Um, it's a good football team kind of top to bottom that we're going to yep. see this weekend.
1: You didn't have the joint practices with them. Had they taken place, how much of that would you look at prior to a game like this? You have all this game footage to look at, but the matchups, would those come into play perhaps?
2: To a degree, it's probably a little bit more personnel-driven, I'd say, in a the preseason. There's a certain element of scheme that's probably not going to be factored in. You know, We talked about this even with Miami, You know, practicing with Miami for a couple days, and then mm-hmm. going into the game, your scouting report is really those practices. But then who's playing, who's available, who's in the lineup? Kind of a baseline, I would say, foundational understanding. And then you really what you want to do. What we're doing now is going back and look at the first five weeks. What have they done? How have they deployed some of those people and their personnel, um, and a lot of players that uh, in the that uh, played in the preseason game there, week three. Some are a factor, some are not. You know, there's a lot of backups that played in the game. So, but any information that's available to you, you try to utilize it to the best of
0: your ability. Nick, you mentioned a word that I find always interesting. You said continuity. And I think we talk about continuity because we all feel like every team is supposed to have some continuity, and, and we'll have that in due time. But the Saints have this. You look at the roster, and it is, boy, they were all together. What does that do for a football team when you can have that sort of continuity on both sides of the ball? Uh, they don't have it in the kicking game because the punter and kicker are new, but still having it on both sides of the ball, they've got guys that have been there for a while. Sure. The
2: more time on task you have as a collective group, then enables you to grow um, as an overall program or in either phase of the uh, phase of the uh, side of the ball or phase that yeah. you're working with. So um, in their particular situation, they have a lot of experienced players, a lot of players that have played a lot of football, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I talk about Davis, played a lot of football, yeah. really good football, honestly, going back to his days, the Jets, this guy's been very durable, yeah. very available and out there. And Cam is the longest tenured uh, saint currently on the roster. So... They have an understanding of what the expectation is on a day-to-day basis. And when they bring players like Brzee, Alante Taylor onto the team, they kind of help them assimilate. So um, when you build a team, when you put a program together, you got to start somewhere. you got to put a foundation in place. I would say not too dissimilar to what we're doing this season You know, with D'Amico and the staff and the players. You have to understand, here are the things that are important. Here's the standard of behavior and performance that we expect on a day-to-day basis. And then when you work with each other on the field, ultimately, it comes down to communication amongst the players on the field. And do you trust a guy that's on either side of you or behind you? And The more time that you do that together, then you can play around with some different, I would say, looks, yep. disguises, adjustments. You may be able to make some modifications in-game. Hey, look. You know, when we run this play, I'm looking a little bit more for this. You know, and they have an understanding of what the language is. So it just allows you to kind of break down some barriers and just get more comfortable with everything that's going on around you in the midst of chaos, which 60 minutes on Sunday is essentially chaos, but you try to mitigate the chaos as best you can. And the more time you've done it collectively together, it just gives you better opportunity
1: for success. Yep. Nick, a fan posted a pic on social media of you and he at an airport. You were headed somewhere, I guess, for a <laughs> scouting trip or something. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to talk to you about the picture, but I will talk it to you about might have been this weekend. I don't it, know. Maybe it was this past weekend yeah, I think it was. Toucan's yeah. Dan is his name. Oh, Toucan's Dan posted the picture. <laughs> In case you were wondering yeah. who, Great. Who, who took the picture with you. Uh, but where have you been this year that we, we might be interested in? Great co- college yeah. atmosphere, anywhere cool?
2: Yeah, so no, I had the opportunity to go uh, down a little bit early uh, on Saturday. Georgia play Kentucky, yep. so it mm. two good football teams. So I'd say sometimes a lot of this is geographically based, so if there's a team or an opportunity to see somebody play where yeah. we're playing, that's kind of the overlap. So I've done that a couple times here this season on the road, so I'm Going back to Saturday, uh, I was on my way down Saturday morning uh, just to get in Atlanta a little bit earlier and head over to Athens. Um, And let's say Kentucky got a good football team. Let's say Georgia's got a really good football team. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just kind of more than anything, you just kind of get an idea. Uh, You're not like basing a decision off of one individual game, Mm -hmm. but it's an opportunity to see large groups of players all in one spot. So as you work through your process during the fall and then transition to the offseason – you kind of have a baseline understanding experience. And I'd say our area scouts and road scouts have done a phenomenal job to this point. They've seen a lot of these players already, so once, sometimes twice. So this is all about information flow. So the more exposures, the more eyes we get on them, and then are we seeing things either similarly, if there's a discrepancy or gap, all right, let's go back and take another look at it. So um, it's a good opportunity here to do some of those types of things. Um, I'd say this week, um, Houston actually plays Thursday night, so mm-hmm. playing West Virginia, so mm. it might be an opportunity to head over there. So just trying to maximize, I'd say, our time, my time, um, and try to multitask where, um, you know, we're suitable.
0: So when you're, with the, when you're with the area scouts, do you kind of keep your notes to yourself? Uh, I mean, not, not that you don't want to share, but just you kind of want to hear their perspective, not clouding your perspective. How do you kind of go about that, Nick? So you're watching with fresh eyes. Okay, I watch this guy now what did you guys think it it
2: works both ways john actually so um matter of fact so yesterday so the group sends kind of their weekly updates kind of a quick snapshot strengths weaknesses kind of bottom line here's the role for the player all right here's what we think of the player here's the grade then i can watch them go through my process all right i see what he sees or hey what about this right and then if we are together then we can kind of talk i'd say in like terms right and just really make it conversational or right, right, anything right. else. It's not about who's right, who's wrong. Right, right. Are we getting the player in the right general area from an evaluation standpoint, understanding there's a lot of runway ahead of us right. that we have to, to get to? So, And then trying to be, I would say, cognizant of the underclassmen. So we're ahead. The declaration won't happen until the middle of January, but it's not wait for them to declare, let's go back and do a lot of work. We try to right. be proactive. Um, and you have to be, I would say, prudent about how you do that, uh, being respectful of the colleges and everything like that. But yep. at some point, these players are going to be available. So it's really a two-way street, and it's very conversational, but
0: they're typically productive conversations when we have them. Well, so, shoot, CJ made us wait till like two hours before the
1: deadline. So
0: thankfully he got <laughs> that stuff done, yeah. but yeah. you guys are on top of it.
1: Nick, important question here. Fall weather is upon mm-hmm. us now, and you're a coffee drinker. So pumpkin spice? Do we have flavored coffee? How do we okay. take our this coffee? Interesting, Nick. there's uh, a certain there's a certain musk coming, yeah. This from is there. a uh, like it. a caramel musk.
2: drizzle uh, Keurig, <laughs> but I'm a Starbucks guy, so uh, I've tried the pumpkin spice latte, not a fan, sorry, all right. with all due respect to Starbucks. Okay. So, um, I did try the um, apple crisp oat milk <laughs> macchiato, but I'm kind of Ooh, a honey wow. almond flat white guy, okay, uh, on a day to day basis. Ooh, that's so. a
1: complicated order. Okay. My wife is
2: a uh, caramel macchiato gal, so um. I'd see, I never would have predicted this. I thought you were going to say <laughs> I black. Think, I, I used to be every, a green tea latte guy, then I transitioned to coffee. Yeah, everybody many has years to ago, give like. their
0: Starbucks order because for some people, it can get kind of long and lengthy. Yes. See, and I'm the guy who just don't add this. I, I don't order want coffee.
1: This. I'm out of there. I don't want to You're wait. old school, Mark. Yeah. You're old school. That's it. Yeah. Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Good
0: luck this week. Thanks, guys.
1: All right, great stuff there with Nick Casario. We always have a fun
0: time talking with Nick in studio, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. What's your gut
1: tell you about this week? It tells me that they're going to be competitive. The Texans will be competitive with the New Orleans Saints. I have no doubt about this. I know the Saints have weapons. I know they've got Thomas. I know they've got Kamara. I know they have Olave. I know they have Derek Carr pulling the trigger, yep. who still has the shoulder injury, by the way. But, Johnny, I look at what happened at New England, and congratulations to the Saints. And thank you very much, by the way, because yes. it's just thank makes you me Saints. happy to see the Patriots lose. But... At the same time, look at the numbers from that game. I think that game, yeah, they made plays on defense, no doubt about it. But it got away from the Patriots in the worst possible way. I don't know if the Saints' defense is that good. But they are good. Now, you look at the schedule, it's not unbelievably great. But the Saints are fourth in the league in points and yards on defense. And you have to take that uh, into account here. So... I do believe, though, despite all that, that the Texans will be able to move the football better. I think they'll make the corrections. The thing that concerns me, though, is slowing them down enough on defense. But I do think that if you are able... To do what you need to do on offense and score 24 to 27 points, I think you win this football game. Now, I'm not predicting it. I don't right. make predictions. You know that. But my gut tells me it's a hotly contested affair. The Texans are in this game in the fourth quarter with a chance to make a play and win.
0: 30,000-foot view. Last week, the trends held. 30-0, Desmond Ritter was as a starting quarterback at home. Mm-hmm. That trend held. The Texans were 0 for Atlanta. That, that, that trend
1: held. The Saints... Oh, are O oh for Houston. They are. And both with Drew Brees mm-hmm. and Drew Brees on some pretty good teams. Oh, seven. I remember it. Well, yeah. and I remember driving to the stadium that day. Don't ask me why. I just remember driving to the stadium that day and thinking, is this a game where they can get it going here? Because I think that game put the Texans at five and five at the time. Yep. And remember, that was the first year they went 500. So mm-hmm. they climbed to five and five. And I thought that was a big deal at the time. You're five yeah, and yeah. five with six to go. Let's go. And of course, we all remember 2014 with the Alfred Blue touchdown reception off the arm, 2015, rather, uh, off the arm of Cecil Shorts, the third. We need to bring that back. Maybe. It needs to be on. Well, we need to bring it back in a couple of
0: ways. Number one, to put it back on the social media. I I saw it the other day, I want to say, but that was brilliant. I mean, Cecil just, you know, gassed it up, threw it deep. That was nice. But We also did something that day. That had never been done up to that point against the Sean Payton and Drew Brees coach team. Which was, kept, uh, keep them under a touchdown. Keep them without a touchdown. Yeah. It was the first time that had happened. And I told this to Drew the other day. One of the things about that game, I remember as I'm watching the game, and J.J. was always animated. But in this one, he was even more so. But there was one point during the game where Teron Armstead is, like, motioning for him to come over to that side. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll be over there. I mean, I could see this going on during a break. And so Armstead is like waving him over. Well, eventually he goes over to Armstead and he works Armstead something fierce, gets a sack on on Drew Brees. And I thought, wow. But I remember JJ being a little bit more animated than usual. Come to find out. He was mic'd up. Uh, He was mic'd up for that game. And he was awesome. It started in warm-ups. And in stretching and activation and went throughout the game, he's looking up the Saints sideline, like, hey, y'all need to get somebody over here can do better than him. And he was really good. But I remember that 2015 game for that. I At the time, I'm like, okay, this defense is playing really, really well. Didn't realize until after the game, like, whoa, the Saints didn't have a touchdown. When has that happened? Yeah. And it was the first time under Peyton uh, as a coach and Breeze as a starting quarterback that they had not registered a touchdown. So 7-15, meanwhile – Drew Brees beats us there in 2011 and then beat us in 2019 on Monday Night Football
1: it's a good thing to bring up for multiple reasons here Johnny and I think that the defense the way they improved that year and found themselves that's what you're looking for here you're looking for a team to improve over the course of a year because that was the year where you had those disgusting blowouts at the hands of Atlanta and Miami in 15 right and then you got it going and finished third overall in the league. The team that finished third overall in the league in defense gave up all that to Miami and all that to Atlanta. Somehow you got it together and winning a Monday night football game, ten to six, beating the Jets. I mean the um, the Saints and holding them to six points. That was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh wait, wait. The touchdown pass was against the Jets, not the Saints. I I thought they had one against the Saints as well. I don't think so. I'm thinking of the Jet game okay, the Saints was different. It was the six-point output. You're right. right. right so right. Drew Brees and Sean Payton that. without a touchdown. But it was another... I think Hoyer was back for that game. Yates started against the Jets. I want to say Hoyer was back for the Saints. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely Those right about that. Those came in back-to-back fashion, I believe, in the 2015 season. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, it's
0: Brian Hoyer. Brian yep. Hoyer was back in that particular yep. game. Yeah, And Hoyer... Yeah, Cecil Shorts had a touchdown catch. I remember that. Uh, And then Alfred Blue had an eight-yard run to kind of put it on ice. Uh, 24-6 to in that game. Held Drew Brees to 228 yards passing on 44 attempts. They couldn't run it. They couldn't run it. They couldn't run it. They couldn't move it. Uh, Mark Ingram did have a nice game that day, 9 for 52, but they just got away from it because they were down. Yeah. They were down in that game. Uh, And that's – I mean, I don't want to leave Alvin Kamara with 9 for 52 – because he'll probably catch eight for 75. Well, um, And that's what we thats what we can't have happen. And in 2019, we had them on the ropes early in that game. Brees had thrown the interception, witty merciless. But then Kamara got going. Yeah. Passing game, running game. He got going and was like, boy, we can't. I mean, well, nobody can stop him. mean, he was
1: right in his prime in 19, too. Another game where the offense leaves the field with the lead. Defense can't hold it. And with Drew Brees, hey, <sighs> 30 seconds is too much time, right? With Desmond Ritter, well, looks like, you know, a minute plus is too much time, plus the timeouts that they had, whatever the case is. Don't even get me started on Aaron Colvin in that game. Don't even get me started. Aaron Colvin, yeah, I know. a rough moment for him. But anyway, look, my gut says competitive – it's going to be tough to beat them. They yep. they are good, and they're rounding into form. And Kamara is back, his, what, third game back from the suspension. Yeah, third Starting game. to put it together. You know, I look at what the Buccaneers did to them, and we'll have Mike Hassan, voice of the Saints, a little bit later. He said they just could not get to Baker Mayfield, and he picked them apart. Okay, that was part of the problem yep. there. But they couldn't score on them either. And, look, Derek Carr has been dealing with a shoulder problem in and out of the lineup, but he's in right now, and he's raring to go. You know, he's playing here for the second time since he left here as a Clements High School Ranger. Yep. So let's see how it all goes. Again, hopefully trends hold because Derek Carr is 0-for-1. Ironically, of
0: all the games that, that Carr's played, all right, I, I guess you could say the 2016 Monday night game, he was pretty good down in Mexico City. 2019, he was awesome that day. He was really, really good that day. We just made one more play than than they did. Yeah, he was good. We talked about this a little bit kind of on the plane, and we talked about it during the broadcast, too, against Atlanta. What if I told you? Yeah. I'm going to give you one number. Okay. What if I told you on Sunday the Texans match 2015's rushing total, 38 attempts for
1: 167? What if I told you the Texans run for 167 on Sunday? This Sunday? This Sunday. It's a win. Come on, it's a win. Now, last week we had the same thing. You win the turnover margin two nothing right. and you know, all the rest of the stuff. And I know we had that exercise and you guys did it on in the lab as well. Right. But you run for one sixty seven on the Saints this Sunday. I mm-hmm. like my chances. CJ Stroud throwing the ball the way he is right now. No picks. Now you're not going to give me any other information, right? Nope, that's it. But I'll take 38 for 167. 167 on 38 carries. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. It's a win. It's yep. probably a decisive win. Yeah, I would. Th- I would think the same. I, if we
0: get 100, if we get 167 yards rushing, I'll buy everybody in our G Stadium a water on the way out. How about that? Johnny, don't promise that. I know, things. I can't. A last lot time, of people, that, Last time I've done that, Sean Pendergast and I had to pay for beer for a lot of people. Thanks, Brett Favre. A lot of people go, <laughs> go to NRG Stadium. <laughs> look, if that's and, what it takes, I'll buy y'all water. I don't know, it yeah. might,
1: might hurt. But yeah, 167 yards would be, uh, would be I'll really take, nice. I'll, you know what? If we're playing, let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. I'll take 120 right now and not look back. Okay. If you give me 120 on the table. Okay. Instead of what's behind door number two, I'll take the 120.
0: Well, considering the, the Patriots had a total of
1: 156 yards against the total. Saints, 120 yeah. rushing but would be I, very, very nice. I think they've got other problems, though. I, oh, I Patriots? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, cannot yeah. look at them as a normal NFL team I'm, right now. I'm with you. Normals They're quadruple A right now. Yeah, there's something. They're having psychological problems in addition to lack of personnel. And they're without
0: their two best defensive players, Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez, the rookie. They're without those two. They can't do anything offensively at all. We've seen life
1: without this. uh, Watt out week three, 2016. Watt out week five, 2017. Cry me a river. I mean, look at what we had on our offensive line going on the first four weeks of the year.
0: So, you know, cry me a river. Go get it done. If If you're the greatest coach of all time,
1: well, here you go. I mean, no, no one's expecting Super Bowl out of them anyway. No, I mean if they went seven and ten at this point, that would be not great. Did you hear two. what Zolak said? What did he say? Oh no, he wasn't singing any Josie. Oh, song he wasn't on singing Sunday.
0: Josie at all. He mm. was perturbed. I think it was twenty-four to nothing, and it was a tip pass interception, I believe. And it was at that point where the boost rang louder they had already started they rang louder but they started going for the exits and he's like there they are leaving for the exits i oh, mean yeah. he made wow he pointed it out wow on the broadcast it was what
1: well, was he calling them out or was no, he no. just saying no how he was saying was. they're leaving and it the yeah. way he was speaking it was like well yeah it's well, obvious a beloved friend of mine one of my best friends in the world is a patriots fan mm-hmm. and He's having a hard time of it. Absolutely. Right now. In fact, he's just this watching us right now talking about how good CJ Stroud is. I'm like, hey, soak soak it in. Soak in the Stroud love. Yeah. What if you're in your
0: thirties from New England? Or in, in
1: in you were a New England fan or in Boston. You You've never seen this from any of your franchises before. Can't fathom this. this right. Is, it's tough. Right. But what everybody's what? going through right now. Yeah, deal with it. Thank goodness for the Bruins starting their season. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> with, yeah, exactly.
3: Because it'll For be pretty them. good.
1: There's no question about that.
0: Also, pretty good is Dalton Schultz. He caught up with DP. A little Dalton with DP, Deep Slant next on Texans All Access. Let's dive right back into Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, side of the reporter. And one of my great friends is DP Sitter. She does a Deep Slant interview every week. And this week it's Dalton Schultz. This is fun. Take a listen.
4: Okay, Dalton Schultz on the Deep Slant presented by Xfinity. Dalton, first of all, I love your Instagram handle. Bingham Baller Nine. Yeah, you said it right. Is it Bingham? Nice. Yep. Okay, that's my Bingham, high school. your high school in your town yeah. that you grew up in.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Also, it's nine, so there's like eight ballers ahead of you.
5: Yeah, I'm the ninth one. You know, it's a deep <laughs> list. You know, Twitter was. Twitter, no, nine is nine is like my favorite number. I've worn. Oh, nine. okay, okay. Yeah, I've worn nine since high school, so that's okay. kind of where it originated.
4: You grew up in Utah. You wore mm-hmm. nine in high school. You're a tight end in high school yep. as well. Yep. You've always been a tight end. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know. So it, I,
5: well, I grew up like. My, like, 8 to 13, I was a center, like a guard. Okay. And then, like, when I hit 13, dropped a bunch of weight, made weight for, like, my last year of Little League because we had the X-Man rule. Okay. Which I don't know if people No, I don't know with. what so that is. So it's like if you're over a certain, like, weight threshold, they put an X on your helmet, you can't carry the ball. I got under that threshold so I could be, like, outside linebacker, tight end, and then I got to high school and then, like, became a, you know,
6: a tight a, end. A tight end, tight end.
5: We had enough players on our team where we could, like, kind of platoon style. Sure. So, I mean, we had 11 on offense and then 11 on defense. So,
6: in
4: Utah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the we, were, we were one
5: of the, yeah, we were a bigger school in Utah. I was going to say,
4: a big high school powerhouse in Utah.
5: Yeah. You know, we Who knew? weren't necessarily Who knew Bingham? <laughs> back then, but yeah.
4: <laughs> okay. So then you, you went to Stanford. So, Stanford was your first, any other schools that you were yeah, thinking about? Yeah. Um,
5: like, in state, I probably would have gone to Utah. I'm not a BYU guy okay. at all. I know it's like the the holy war. Then everybody holy goes, war. To it, right? Okay. Um, I wanted to get out of the or not of the country of the state, the country so, of Utah, yeah, the country yes. too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I wanted to like pursue a place that would kind of benefit me, you know, not only in the football side but like the academic side, intellectually obviously, like, too. Yeah. You know, Stanford. I mean, you can you can't really beat it.
4: No, like, you can't. Especially,
5: you know, when I was coming out and like, I mean, they were kind of in the in the you know, mix for national title contention. And so, yeah, I think that was just, like, a no-brainer for me. So I was like, dude, like, this is amazing. Stanford. You guys used three, four tight ends at a time. Like, run the ball well, throw the ball well. Like, yeah, I want to be a part of it. You and didn't then get, then, like, like, an
4: engineering degree or anything like that. Nah, like, Andrew Luck, um, right?
5: It, it was a BS, though. It was a, I did get a BS. Um, it was an STS, which is Science, Technology, and Society. Um,
4: Science, Technology, yeah. and Society. Yeah. That's so interesting. So that was,
5: like, one of the majors that, like, you could kind of, like, it was a little more flexible than some of the other ones. And so, like, I was able to kind of, like, make my own course plan and course load, yeah, and I structured football. it around, I completely structured it around, like, video game design. So I took, like, as many, like, programming slash design courses that were, totally focused on like making games
4: and like, okay. making video games. Is that what you would have done, you think, had you yeah, not played football? Yeah, I would have done
5: something in the industry. Really? Um, All
4: right.
5: It was either that or like architectural something or another. Yeah. I think those are the two like, asp- like you the, the aspects of learning that appealed to me the most. Because I was like, dude, I'm in college playing football. This is amazing. But like.
4: And you're the, getting an amazing degree yeah, at the same time but too. But the school
5: stuff, it's like, I'm going to do something that is like fun. So like learning is not, you know, a chore yeah on top of all this running and lifting and practicing. it's techie
4: and it's creative at the same time so I yeah and it's in it's silicon close.
5: valley i was like this is like the perfect You're set but they didn't have a game design that like but you major. settled for the
4: nfl instead yeah that's for uh, you it was,
5: it was a solid backup <laughs> solid it was a good backup, backup with plan. The NFL.
4: Yeah. <laughs> all right so you get drafted by the cowboys and i was reading a little bit about your history i mean you had a a bit of a tough road early on i mean even though you were a draft pick for the cowboys you had to sort of yeah. work your way up on the depth chart right Yeah,
5: no for sure i'm I played, I want to say my first game, I played, like, three or four snaps. And then I ended up, like, healthy scratching for the next five. Mm. And then, and then um, you know, I think our starter went down. He broke his wrist. And then, like, I was kind of, like, moved up and got some more playing time and more playing time. And then it was, like, you know, I finished the year, like, getting a pretty solid amount of playing time, like, a few catches, like, nothing crazy. But, you know, I, I was, like, okay, I'm ready to kind of, like, you know, Take more, in the of, NFL yeah, now. Yes. take more of a, you know, role in the offense. And then guy, Jason Witten comes back oh, and him. I'm like, dude, it, it was, it honestly <laughs> was like, I, <laughs> I say, I say this completely seriously. Like it was probably the best thing that really? could have happened to me was like to have
4: him come back 100 and learn like, yeah. under him.
5: Because, I was like, just
4: wondering emotionally, like, you're like, okay, Jason Witten's gone, We they need a guy, they need yeah. a tight end, you get drafted. Also, it's like... I, and then he comes back. Like, yeah. we're watching it. It's, yeah. like, funny, because I've never thought about that story from, like, a tight end's perspective, yeah. let and, alone and one on the team.
5: To be honest, like, I think my rookie year, like, I just wasn't ready. Like, mentally, I maybe was, but, like, that leap from college to the NFL physically, uh-huh. especially when you're playing in the trenches all the time, like... Dude, it takes a it takes a year or two to kind of get your feet under you to feel like okay, I can I feel comfortable blocking like one on one with like these huge DMs these NFL type players, are, you know, yeah freaks. And so I think um, you know, kind of having that a little bit of like you know bite of the apple my rookie year, and then kind of taking a step back and like seeing what I mean a walking Hall of Famer sure is able to like you know kind of how he goes about his week. That was like yeah the best. I'll say it again. It's the best thing that that happened for my career, for sure.
4: What What do you think was the biggest lesson that you learned from him? Like being a pro, obviously, but um, like anything else that you felt like you would not have gotten about the position or the game had he not come back.
5: Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's too much things to like put on any one. Like I've learned so much. Um, like my film study habits, like are literally just straight from him. Like I asked, I I sat him down and asked him one day, and I was like, Hey, like how do you? how do you prepare like how do you watch film what do you look for like what's your film schedule through the week and you like walk me through it and that's literally what i do
4: you that you do that so i the still day. yeah
5: i still prepare and watch film just like that and then i mean just to like have an example of a guy who's just obviously been able to do it and do it at the highest level for as long as he did like you learn how to kind of carry yourself and you learn how to practice and like things to do things to like you know necessarily like put a bunch of extra time into and things kind of not not to worry about like honestly watching him do like the offense against scout team mm-hmm. was like very valuable is that right because there's something te- there's some things that he was just like like he would lose on the block and i'd be like oh you know did he just get he just got beat and then he'd be in the film room he's like yeah like I, that's the exact footwork that i'm taking in the game because like dn's not gonna play like that
4: like, oh. I don't care about this rep. Oh, like, interesting. Okay. Like
5: I'm and so seeing his focus on like how he would prepare, I mean, that just helps a young sets player. Sets you too. up. Yeah. So.
4: I mean, it sets you up nicely. You've had like back-to-back games with a touchdown. So, can we talk about just your touchdown celebration with CJ Stroud? Cuz uh, he didn't even throw <laughs> you that touchdown. It the, was oh, uh, First, first all first all, let's we, we'll talk about Singletary <laughs> yeah. in a minute. We'll talk about Motor in a second. Yeah. But just just your the rapport with CJ the touch. He's got a celebration with everybody, and it seemed like you guys have your own. Yeah, thing that's too. like his
5: thing. He's like, he's, he's a big, a hand, he's one. a big handshake guy. Okay. And so like. Um,
4: so who came up with a handshake? You oh, or did. him? He did. He, he did. He's like, sure. this is going to be our handshake. Yeah, that's my dog. Okay. <laughs> and so, what is your? hand? Can I ask you? Like. Nah,
5: <laughs> you you just got to see it. Pull. The, I saw it. The clip. Somebody run the clip. Yeah, we'll run the
4: clip here. But you did like this arm crossing thing, yeah. and then like I. I yeah, we'll mix it up. We'll
5: see the next one. Like now that you've called us out on it, you know we We'll have something in the back pocket for the next one.
4: Yeah, so he's – I noticed that he's got different – I thought – first I thought it was a West Coast thing, but then I was like, no, it seems like for every player he's just got a different celebration. Yeah, everybody. And he didn't even throw that touchdown. He was so happy for you, so. It's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> how about, how about uh, motors skills at quarterback? Oh, my God.
5: You talk about a ball. Like a ball coming from a running back, too. Like he put it, it back, nice. shoulder, spiral. <laughs> I was like, dude, you keep throwing balls like that? I'm going to have to buy you a watch or something, bro. Like
4: <laughs> <laughs> – and I heard that play did not go well in practice the week. Like you guys yeah, tried that no, play earlier you overthrew in
5: practice. It. Yeah. You overthrew it in practice. And then you weren't nervous But like as during, soon as yeah, as yeah. soon as you overthrew it, I was like, Oh, this is about to, it's
4: it's not about to be work. Good. No, yeah. it's about to work. Oh, okay. As soon
5: as he like threw it over my head in practice, I was like, Oh yeah, we're dialed. Really? <laughs> yeah. So that
4: doesn't make you nervous no. that when you run a play in practice, you're not know, going to No, like, it's like gonna...
5: it's funny. Sometimes like the bad stuff that happens in practice like solidifies that it's gonna be good for the really? game. But yeah, because you get the bad rep out. Like, oh, you're like, or I like one you know, rep the defense does something and like, you know, somebody messes it up and it's like, oh, freak. Like, I, I missed my assignment. Yeah. Well, now, you know, you're going to be perfect in the game. because like you had the you had the hard look in practice. You had the messed up.
4: I'm rep. so curious, because what if you have a great rep in practice? Does it work the other way? Heck yeah, no, no, it doesn't it's work. It's going to be great way. in the game, too. <laughs>
2: All, everything is it's good. It's always going to be great.
4: <laughs> I like that attitude. I like the positivity. Yeah. All right, so CJ's your dog. You you guys worked a lot this offseason together. Like, you guys got close. Yeah. And he's he has said some really great things just about you being a security blanket for him. You're a veteran in the league. What, what is that like, your relationship with him, a guy so much younger? When you signed here, you didn't even know that he was going to be your quarterback. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I think um, just like the scheme that we have, like the kind of the Shanahan offense, It's it's a lot of timing and rhythm. And like as soon as, you know, we picked him and I was like at the forefront of my mind is like, hey, we need to start building that rapport and that timing and that rhythm. Cause that's that's the most important thing that especially a tight end can have with mm-hmm. this quarterback, is just, you know, giving him a spot that he knows exactly where I'm gonna be, when I'm gonna be there. And like I know exactly where he's gonna put that ball on on what look. So that was definitely like something that I want to get started on like right away, because those things are those things take time to kind of grow. And like build confidence in, and I think that you know he's done a good job as anybody on preparing and you know making sure that that he's right and his eyes are in the right spot and he's making the right throws. And I think just continuing to build that kind of rapport with each other is going to be you know key. You know I think that you know when you have a guy that you can really count on and opens up the offense regardless of where that position is, whether it's you know receiver, running back, tight end, like you know you start building a good enough rapport with a guy, like teams are going to kind of hone in on that and then. You know, other guys are going to be open. So,
4: yeah, you. I I remember you saying when you signed here, you actually were drawn to D'Amico because of the defense, right? The, because yeah, I mean, what you saw in the playoffs yeah, last dude, year with I the mean, Cowboys.
5: He's, he's got guys in the right spots all the time, like making plays. Like, dude, it feels like it felt like every time we played them, like they knew exactly what we were doing, and so it was like, you know, I just I'm a I'm a believer in just the scheme aspect and so that was obviously attractive on the defensive side of the ball Uh, yeah on both sides okay like i mean this is so you this is basically two san francisco coaches right you're like we're we're gonna have the same scheme implemented the same ideas and so i think that you know for sure that was attractive to me because they've given they've they've given me issues you know what i mean so
4: i mean it's pretty fortunate you got to stay in the state of texas right because yeah no dallas to houston Especially what is- like
5: with the first move, like yeah. We I was you know worried. But you spent about your that. whole
4: career in Dallas, yeah, in the NFL. And so
5: I think our the first move being you know only four hours away, like in terms of just driving, yeah, like it's an hour, it's not even an hour flight, four hour drive, right? Like it's easy.
4: I it's mean, you could fly like 100 times a day to Dallas if you, I mean, not 100, but there's a I lot of flights. I think there's a little bit more to math
5: know. to do there. But, I mean, yeah. right, I mean, more or less. I mean, 45 minutes, 15, <laughs> 20 minutes, change over 24 <laughs> hours in a day, I don't
4: know. I yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's it's very easy to get to Dallas and back. So yeah. what, what, what do you, I've lived in Dallas, I lived in Dallas briefly, and there's like this big rivalry between the two cities. What have you thought about that just coming from Dallas to Houston? Because you have been on the other side of it. People in Um, Dallas, what they think about Houston, Houstonians in Dallas.
5: To be honest, like, I haven't felt that.
4: Really? Like,
5: and I could just be out of touch. Like, I don't know. I don't feel, I don't, (laughs) yeah. I don't feel like any animosity, like, from either party, to be
4: honest. Okay. Okay.
5: I don't know. I, We're I gonna give
4: you a little bit of yeah, time. Yeah.
5: Yes. Please, somebody. <laughs> I'll
4: give you some time before you start feeling it. What about uh, Tex Mex? You you had uh, some um, bold Tex-Mex, opinions yeah. on Tex Mex. Still not a Tex Mex. Still not yeah. a Tex Mex guy. Yeah.
5: There's actually one. There's one Tex Mex place that I like really like. In Houston? Um, no, it's in Dallas. It's Ugh. called E Bar.
0: Okay, we got to get that man some Tex Mex. Oh my goodness! Now, if you want to hear the full deep slant, go check it out on our podcast page, Spotter, Stitcher. Uh, whatever else, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, that's where you can pick up the rest of that uh, with Dalton Schultz. That was absolutely fantastic. We get back. We'll go around the NFL. We'll look at the injury report. We'll do that next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst. sideline reporters, we get ready for the Saints on Sunday. Noon kick. Can't wait. Let's get it done. Let's take a look at this injury report. Uh, before we go and hit any news stories around the league because this might be all we can do. For the Texans, DNPs on Wednesday. Now no rest days are noted. Typically Robert Woods would have a rest day, but because he was dealing with the rib issue in the game on Sunday, he did not participate in practice. Mary Tunsell was also a spectator at practice today, dealing with the niche. Keel Griffin still with that calf. Tank Dell in the concussion protocol. That's a big one, obviously. Malik Collins having Abdomen issues did play this last week. In fact, uh, all but Shaq played in the game last week against the Falcons. So hopefully we'll be able to get those guys back on Sunday because we will need them against the Saints. Limited participants, uh, Blake Cashman, George Fant, Christian Harris, that concussion was good to see him back in at least a limited capacity. And then Shaq Mason deal with an ankle. All the hand issues were nice to see full participants. Titus Howard, Josh Jones, Denzel Perryman, Tavier Thomas. They were all back as full participants of practice. Also designated to return, wide receiver Noah Brown. Now, the Saints, unlike last week where you looked at the injury report and went, wait a second, there's something wrong with this. The Falcons didn't turn theirs in, guys. How can they? No, the, the Falcons had everybody fully healthy, fully participating in practice all week. That is not any other team I've ever seen ever. But the Saints, more like the Texans. They've got five guys DNPs. One name you'll recognize. Lonnie Johnson dealing with a hamstring. Juwan Johnson, tight end, dealing with a calf issue. Adam Prentice, their fullback, has been dealing with a knee. JT Gray was back last week, but he had a hamstring. And Landon Young, backup tackle, uh, with a hip. A couple of vets got rest days. Ryan Ramcheck and Jimmy Gordon, uh, Jimmy Graham. Uh, Cam Jordan was a limited participant. Chris Olave with a toe. James Hurst with a foot. But Derek Carr was back with that right shoulder. looks like he's pretty close to being back to 100%. And Marcus May, safety, returns from suspension. So he more than likely will be back there next to Tyron. Um, And you're going to have a hitter and a playmaker back there because that's what those two guys are. Uh, Tyron is the playmaker. Marcus May is the hitter. Um, And Andres Pete was back. uh, After being in a concussion protocol, he missed last week's game. James Hurst played in his place. He's dealing with a foot issue. So, uh, they've got a couple injury issues. uh, Probably, really, honestly, about the same on both sides uh, for these two teams. So, there you go. Injury report. Now, let's learn a little bit more about the Saints. And go men behind the mics next. Mike Haas. Great name. Mike Haas. Play-by-play voice of the Saints. Catches up with our voice, the legendary Mark Vandermeer. That's next on Texans All Access. We got one hour in the books, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. Appreciate you being here with me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And now it's time for our Men Behind the Mic segment. Mike Haas is the play-by-play man for the New Orleans Saints. And well, he caught up with Mark Vandermeer. And this is always great stuff. Let's learn a little bit more about the Saints, get it from their perspective from Mike Haas. Mark, take it away.
1: Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's Mike Haas, voice of the New Orleans Saints. Mike, great to have you on. Tell me first, the Saints' performance against the Patriots, was that the Saints rounding into form, what they really can be, or was it a bad day for New England or a combination of things? How do you see it?
3: Yeah, I got to believe it's it's the latter. I mean, the Saints played well, and they dictated the game. They dictated uh, putting points on the board first, and then, yes, it did unravel for a a struggling New England team. But this is kind of the team that we went to training camp thinking about. Uh, And it's really the first time that we've seen it. But this is really the first time if, you know, the first game back for Alvin and Tampa hadn't played since January of this year, really played. So I, I feel like it's a combination of both, but this is kind of the team that we thought we would have. Now, you're not going to put 34 up each week, but you get that kind of defensive effort with just a solid offensive effort, and especially in the red zone. That's the difference in the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, this is what we thought would happen. All
1: right, Mike, let's go over some of the weapons that the Saints have because I'm losing a little sleep over this one. First of all, our buddy Derek Carr, who was here as a little kid when the Texans started out as David's little brother and – I've told many stories on the air about playing catch with Derek after practice when he was in sixth grade and seventh grade and stuff like that. Great guy. What does he bring into the table for the Saints offense?
3: You know, he brings the most important thing, which is stability, even through the shoulder injury. So, you know, we we knew post-Drew Brees would be difficult. So there was this battle between Jameis and Taysom year one that Jameis won, but then gets hurt, and then they played four quarterbacks in 21, 22. It was Jameis's job. Loses, gets hurt. it's your backup, Andy Dalton, for 14 games. Well so that that was never. None of that was ever the plan. Uh, and so he brings stability. You know, even through that injury, and you know, experience, and I think it's only going to get better. He's he he loves this offense. This offense thrives on a quarterback with experience who can make quick decisions, good decisions at the line. Uh, and certainly he learned a lot of that from John Gruden. That's what made drew so special. The ability to pull out of plays at the line and you know I can pull out of plays at the line, but can I pull out of the plays and go into the right one? That's the difference mm-hmm. and so he he brings i think we're just hopefully <laughs> I say this hopefully just beginning to see some of the offensive progression that he brings because he's just he hasn't played with these guys. this is you know, third game with Alvin coming up uh, and, and and to have Alvin and Mike and Shahid and Olave uh, and hopefully get some tight ends back back into this scene. So I, I I hope it's just the next step in an evolution.
1: Mike Haas, Voice of the Saints, joining us on Texans Radio. Mike, other than Derek, who is the most important offensive player for this team, in your opinion, right now
3: and maybe into the rest of the season? So it's Alvin Kamara. Without question, I mean, you know, against New England, it'll never, it won't show up in any numbers. It's not going to be a stat anybody talked about. But the Saints ran the ball on first down probably, I don't know, 75, 80 percent of the time, and they weren't gash runs. They weren't 10, 12, but they were five yards, four yards, six yards, and that's something they've not been able to do. And when you do that and you're second and four or second and five, now the swing pass to Kendra Miller or the swing pass to, to, to Alvin makes the biggest difference. So his ability to run the ball between the tackles, not going wide, but between the tackles and have positive yardage uh, consistently, I mean, he's the difference. He, he's, he's such a difference maker because you got to account for him. And once you have to start accounting for Alvin, now all of a sudden, well, who's accounting for Taysom? Who's accounting for Mike Thomas? Who's accounting for Olave? It makes a whole team that much. better, But it begins, Well, I mean, it begins with Derek, but it begins, in my mind, with Alvin Kamara.
1: Mike, is the Pete Carmichael offense the Sean Payton offense, or has it changed at all? I know the personnel adjusts a bit, especially when you get a different quarterback in there, but tell me about that.
3: Yeah, I think it's the foundation is the the Sean Payton offense. I mean, obviously, you know, Pete Carmichael comes in with, Drew Brees in 06, you know, without Drew Brees, there is no Pete Carmichael here. And they worked together with Sean. He called plays at different times, but I do believe the foundation of the offense is Sean, but Pete's had it now really since the back half of of 21. Uh, So I I feel like you're going to start seeing more of, of, of him. I don't know that it'll look any different because I believe the foundational points, are there that it's a you know quick get to quarterback short drop quick release you know to go from Drew and Derek that's a quarterback that's not escaping the pocket a whole bunch can can but doesn't want to take the hit so I think foundationally short passes good running game and have the ability to go deep is what they want to do so yeah it's a, it's a combination but I think this past week man it was rough in New Orleans I mean there were you thought the team was zero and ten. Uh, mm. people were just pitchforks, everybody's got to go. I'm like, they're, they're two and two. They've only had two starts better than this since 2013. <laughs> so yeah. it was just, you know, it was it was tough. And I think he came out of it, and, you know, again, it's one game. you got to be able to sustain it, but it was a very important game just for everyone's psyche.
1: Mike Haas, Voice of the Saints, joining us. So tell me, on defense, we know about some of the big names. We know about Jordan. We know about – Tyron Matthew, who was here for a year in 2018 for the Houston Texans, Lattimore, but give me a name or two that just doesn't get the publicity that maybe deserves more notoriety on this Saints defense, which is fourth in the league.
3: Uh, Carl Granderson is by far the tops. He doesn't, you know, he's not, doesn't show up on anybody's pregame report. You know, when we're talking about mm-hmm. it, but when you do a postgame report, yeah, he's the guy. And it's, and it's often in play's where he doesn't we'll get credit. He's the guy on Tyron's uh, pick six. It's Granderson's pressure that that causes the throw, right? And and so you get kind of lost in that. But he had, I think, a sack and a half, uh, three tackles. Three tackles for a loss, the quarterback uh, hit. He is the guy. There are times when Carl Granderson is out there and he's he's just – he's unstoppable. He's unblockable. And it's not every game – the consistency factor, but man, there are times he's just, he's a beast. And then, you know, you, you can't say enough about Demario Davis who again just does his job kind of quietly. Uh, they run a lot of two linebacker set with he and Pete Warner, but to me, Carl Granderson, maybe a Malcolm Roach and a Demario Davis and Pete Warner uh, are just, man, they're just beasts out there.
1: Mike, you've been in New Orleans a long time. So you tell me, and you mentioned it last week, the way people were feeling about the Saints early on in the season, they blow out the Patriots. But is this sort of an uneasy time in Saints history? Because you go through all that success with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, even before that, Hazlitt winning the playoff game in 2000. So you had 15, 20 years of relative success after all those years of struggling. Is this sort of an uneasy time as you try to reestablish for the future?
3: I don't. You know, I think 22, 21 and 22 were kind of that time. And they weren't, you know, 21 wasn't bad. They finished 9 and 8 and really should have made the playoffs. Uh, so they've kind of been in this tweener situation, whereas Sean Leaves, Leaves a pretty good football team, but, you know, you got no Drew Brees. Well, you know, guess what? Look at New England. You know, find any team that's had a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees that survives, right? But the team was good so it was so good that you couldn't blow it up in 21 and 22 or 23 you're like well we're not we're, we're we have good people good defense good offensive people in a, in a lot of positions number one picks almost across the offensive line so they've 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 since i don't know 2016 they've been in a win now mentality and they can't seem to get out of it right because it's a good mm-hmm. football team so i think they've passed that kind of, you know, time post Drew now. I think it's about building something without probably having to, to tear it up because they're they've been enormously good in free agency, good in draft, and you know Derek Carr. You know, even at, at, with his you know experience and age, I think is the right guy for the job. So. You know, I, I feel like they're they're beyond it. It's about it's about building right now with a team that's good. They're, they're still on the wind. Whereas I think New England, I think New England's in a We're going to blow it up. We almost got to blow it up. How do you not yeah. blow it up, right? You know, because if Mac Jones is your answer, then you maybe, you know, you've got to blow it up. And, and the Saints are just not like that. They just aren't.
1: I was going to ask you about New England because the whole league is fascinated with what they're going through because of how successful they've been and where they are now. And I think a lot of people are getting pleasure out of that, but whatever the case may be, you just watch them up close and personal. What do you think they're going through? It's not just the quarterback perhaps, or is it all about the quarterback? What is your opinion after doing the game with new Orleans at new England?
3: Well, they got a, they got a fan base, much like new Orleans. Obviously they're boiled rotten they don't understand they don't they don't understand what this world is like every other team has lived for 20 years and so they are ready to pounce they were quiet you know they kind of wanted to give us a reason to get in the game but give us a reason to boo and we'll be right there as well and so it's tough now you lose Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez the week before I mean those are your top two defenders period Mm -hmm. but offensively it's, it begins with Mac Jones. I mean, he's had, he's had four pick sixes and a strip fumble for – he's responsible for five defensive touchdowns. And I say he, right? So he threw, mm-hmm. he's thrown four pick sixes in two, in, 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 mm-hmm. since his, in his career. That's how many Tom Brady threw in his career at Gillette Stadium dating back to 2002. So <laughs> – and, and I think the, 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 the biggest concern they have going forward is Belichick. Right. So Belichick's at 299. He wants to pass Don Shula at 328. That's the goal, so to speak. Now, no, he's not said that publicly. But, and you're going in your head, all right, well, all right, no problem. Well, now think about it. He was started the year at 298. That means he's got to average 10 wins a year for three years to tie. Well, I, don't, I don't know that Kraft's got that kind of, you know, discipline to win, because he ain't winning 10 games a year for three years. So it's going to take him six years. Yeah, I don't know. So it's like it's decision time up there uh, with with what they're going to do. But they're they're living. We understand their world. You go post Tom Brady and you go, well, wait, we we didn't win 38-10. What are we doing here? (laughs) We've been there, people. It's tough.
1: Mike Haas, Voice of the Saints, joining us. A couple more for you, Mike. The NFC South Texans are in a four-game stretch right now where they are playing the NFC South teams. Just played Atlanta. You haven't seen Atlanta yet this year, but what do you make of the division? And I saw what happened with Tampa Bay and the saints. How good is Tampa Bay? They'll be here at NRG stadium a bit later on.
3: You know, it's, it's funny because we're in, we are in an AFC four game stretch right now. You know, <laughs> we go new England, Houston, uh, Jacksonville on a short week in Indianapolis. So we are making our trip through uh, the AFC as well. Tampa is not as good as we made them, but if you give Baker Mayfield time, one, he gains confidence which which the saints gave him too much way too much time then if you put pressure on him hard on the outside and give him running lanes he will beat you and quite frankly the saints were oh three in the in the red zone so those field goals turn into touchdowns that's 21 points that's a yeah. different ball game and but they didn't and so but in new england they did turn into touchdowns and it was 21 points the, that's that is the difference in the game so tampa's not as good as, as as probably we made them look. Atlanta is troublesome, as you as you can see they they can they can do a lot of things. They always somehow either find a way to win, like they did this past week, or they will somehow find a way unbelievably to lose. So they're going to be up and down. Carolina is is struggling, but I mean I have been enormously impressed with you guys. I mean doing what you're doing with with C J, I mean, 186 attempts, no picks. Uh, I guess we'll find out today a little bit more about Tank Dell and his situation. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, this is a, this, October is where things will really kind of shape up. But the NFC South overall, clearly better than last year and clearly better than anybody thought they would be this year. We'll see where things go.
1: Well, except for Carolina, maybe, but I don't know what people thought right. they were going to be like. They're 0-5, yeah. and you played them, the Saints did, and won 20-17. What What'd you make of Bryce Young? The Texans will be there soon enough after the bye.
3: You know, he's he's kind of – he. I think he's a lot like C.J. Stroud. They both are playing the, – the game is not bigger than them. You know, have a pick against us. He runs when he, he has to. He doesn't run, uh, you know, because he wants to. Uh, they're not a great team. Uh, he he got he lost a fumble. Uh, That's the Saints got. I mean, the Saints won the turnover battle. Uh, had a couple of big plays, but that was a that was a very close game. I mean, they punted to us. We had to be able to keep the ball for like four minutes in order to to win the game, or we had to give it back to them. So they, you know, I won't say they're better than their are zero and five, but I believe that Bryce, you know, is about as expected. He, you know, I don't think he can he can. Look at their losses because they've been beaten pretty badly, except for our game, and they've played mm-hmm. tough teams. They played Detroit, uh, so you know it's they'll be it'll be interesting. They'll they can be a handful, but if you can get on top of them, man, they they've kind of they and when they have to get into a throw first mentality, that's that's not where they're going to be successful. Just like you guys. Right. Let me look at CJ. CJ, what do you throw for? Forty-seven attempts, forty-four attempts, your first two games. And that's not, that's not what you want, right? But if those 30 attempts, the next two games, you win big.
1: Yeah, still try to establish the ground game here, get it going. And they stick with it even when it's not working because it helps a lot of other things for them. But uh, it was tough in at Atlanta, tough. They're a little bit more difficult yeah, a than a lot of loss. people expect. Yeah.
3: No, I think, Atlanta's a, I think Atlanta's a good football team. Just got better, just picked up uh, wide receiver from the Rams. So, I mean, they're they're yeah, troublesome. All right, Mike, thanks for the
1: time. Great stuff. We appreciate it, and we'll see you Sunday. All right, Mark. Thanks, Al.
3: Man, I wish we played the
0: Saints more often for a number of reasons, but I like having Mike Haas on the show. He was very, very good, as is Drew Doherty. We go into the lab next right here on Texas All-Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texas All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, satellite reporter, and one half of the In the Lab podcast crew. My man Drew Doherty drives the ship And we dive into a lot of things here, including our cream of the croppers against the Atlanta Falcons, even in a loss, and our under-the-radar
6: players to watch this game against the Saints. Check this out. That's right. It's time to talk. John Harris, me, Drew Doherty, and John, we got a fun show because you and I were going to relive what we saw by giving out a cream of the crop award. The cream of the crop. Thank you, Macho Man Savage, to a player, each of us. From the Texans game that kind of performed well or did perform well. And yeah, it was a loss, we know. And then we're going to look ahead to this weekend. The Saints coming to town. As Mark Vandermeer likes to say, they're fat and happy. So after a (laughs) 34-0 drubbing on the road of the Patriots, we'll have an under-the-radar Texan from you. And then later on, I'm going to cut you loose. I'm going to reel in our big pal Jalen Petrie, the safety for the Texans. He and I went one on one. I did a Drew's dozen with him. I had some interesting thoughts. Road trip time. Hey, before we get into it, road trip essentials. When you're going on a long road trip, what are the snacks you got to have and the drinks? Oh, because this comes up with Jalen.
0: I, I always have to have a drink in the car, no matter what, and usually a, a Propel Zero, Gatorade, or you know, some kind of. I love sparkling ice. I got to have. I got to have the drink worst Mm -hmm. case I go just plain bottled water
7: Mm -hmm. which is cool
0: the snacks vary just it kind of depends I like combos I love combos as my snack but I'll eat pretty much any kind of good snack I'm not opposed to having the uh the zingers oh yeah you know the uh the kind of twinkie like things I'm and I like the raspberry coconut ones for some reason, which some people don't like. But my wife and I, we drive a lot when we're together. She's out in California right now. But when we're together and we take road trips, we, we don't like to fly. So we like to drive. And so we drove to my mother lost funeral, my wife's mother's funeral. We drove back from North Carolina and I loved it because we hit Bojangles in North Carolina, which we're going to go to North Carolina very soon. So we'll get some Bojangles again. But then when we hit the convenience store, it's some combos. It's like cheesy crackers. I try to avoid the popcorn on the road because the kernels get in your know, teeth. But I also, like some sort of like Sour Patch kids, Sour Patch watermelons, like if I'm really feeling it, you know. But if I'm feeling fat from having eaten too much, I stay away from that stuff.
6: Oh, okay. So you were living large on Sunday on the flight home. You had the uh, Sour Patch kids. Yeah. I saw you and Everett yeah, yeah. from, uh, and, and Omar from Media Relations. My yep. choice on the road trips. I need a Diet Dr. Pepper or a Diet Mountain Dew to drink. Yep. And then I like beef jerky. I like a, if I if I need my, get my sugar up, a fast break bar made by Reese's. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are great. I love those are great. And then if you get getting drowsy, you know what keeps me awake? Sunflower seeds, the chewing and the, all that Ooh. whole process. Yeah. So there yeah, that's we go. a good one. That's my stuff. Okay, let's get into cream of the crop. The cream of the crop. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Macho Man Savage. The Texans fall to the Falcons on the road. Man, just a weird game. Have a lead at the half. Have a lead in the second half. Then you lose it. Then you get it back with 149 remaining. It was uh, reminiscent of a, lot of a lot of games from 18 and 19 and a little bit of 17 where the Texans, that offense would leave the field with a lead late and then somehow... The other team would come back and get it. So, who is your cream of the crop? The cream of the crop. Winner for today. I'm gonna
0: we... go, I'm gonna go with Dalton Schultz.
6: Good one, good one.
0: That's where I'm going with seven catches, had the game, winning touchdown. You know, I you you know how I love the game to to be played, obviously physically, but cerebrally too. And I love when things are set up for future use. And they were setting up Jesse Bates all game, they were inviting him down now. Bates almost got one. Thank God Robert Woods played defensive back at one point in his life because he got that ball out of there. But they set Jesse Bates up with a route that they had been running and have run before where Dalton is running the basic route or an in route. And instead of running just an in, he went in, got Bates to bite, and he went in and deep, in and out. I hope they called it that. I hope they called it like burger or something like that, like in and out burger, because that's what ex- essentially it essentially was. He, it was a great route, great catch because you had the other safety that was starting to close a little bit because CJ couldn't rip it and he didn't want to float it. So it's kind of an in between. It's kind of two ball. And he ended up making a catch before the safety could get there. But Dalton was, he was 7 11. He was open a lot of the day. And I think that's going to happen more often because teams are going to be super conscious of, Conscious of Nico Collins and then of Robert Woods on third down in particular, and then Tank Dell going deep. I think that's going to open some things up for Dalton Schultz and these tight ends. And Dalton took advantage against Atlanta for sure. So I'm going to go with Dalton Schultz as my cream of the cropper.
6: Yeah, I like that choice. You know, and we've kind of touched on this in previous weeks. It was just a matter of time, I thought, for him to have one of those type of games because. You just touched you just mentioned it. there's so many options now in this offense, and if a defense decides to take some certain aspect of it away, like Nico Collins had a quieter day than he did last week and and than he did in week two. so I think because mm-hmm. of that, a lot of that time a lot of times that's going to open things up for somebody else, and I think yep, dalton, yep. Was, uh, dalton was a Dalton was a guy that benefited from that, you know
0: yep, absolutely, and I think that's I think that's kind of the evolution of this offense as we go forward, and that is you take this away from us. Well, we're going to go to this. And you take this away from us, we're going to go to that. You take that away from us, well, we're going to go back to this. There's going to be so much that you're going to be able to bring to it, um, hopefully, that you can then be a complete offense, be it run game, pass game, tight ends, pass game, wide receiver, pass game, all three levels in the pass game, all that you got to be able to have and be able to peel those layers back. And I know many, many years ago when I was doing a coaching thing, that was what I wanted. Okay. The first quarter, I would kind of say, all right, what are they trying to take away? Okay, they want to take this away. All right, well, here's our counter to that. All right, here's something we worked on practice, anticipating that they were going to take this away. So let's go to this. And then all of a sudden, you kind of got them where you want them, and now you hit them with everything. And now they're like, whoa, we don't know how to stop this. And that's kind of where this offense, I would hope, is, is planning to go, to where every single aspect you're hit. We Willie Keeler, former Baltimore Oreo a long, long time ago, hit them where they ain't. It's kind of that. It's like hit them where they ain't. They go nickel, run at them. You know, if they go base, throw it to your tight ends. If they want to clamp down and press, throw deep beyond them. You know, whatever they throw, whatever test question they throw at you, you have the answer.
6: That's nice. I like a, I always love a good Baltimore Orioles pre-Major League Baseball, Baltimore Orioles yes. reference. That was when they were not yes. in Major League Baseball. Okay. Mine is kind of, sort of complicated. Mine goes to the pass protection. Okay. That's not complicated. That? That's good. Think about that. For the third straight week, no sacks allowed. Texans have never done that in franchise history. They've never gone three games in a row without giving up a sack. This is the first time that's happened. And they did it again with a new unit. It wasn't like – I think about it. The best offensive line in team history, probably that 2011 bunch. I think we can Mm -hmm. agree on that. Even they did not do this. And they pretty much played together most of the year. I'd have to go back and look. There were some – swap outs with Bryzel, He got injured a few times and he had to he had to come out. But this is the third different combo we've seen in as many weeks and really I don't think they've they've had the same combo. I think you have had five different combos each time maybe. I'd have to go back and look uh, at that.
0: Yeah, weeks 2 and 3 were the same. Were they? Okay. So I think. Yeah, pretty sure.
6: So nevertheless, three straight weeks right. no sacks allowed, especially with a rookie quarterback who had gone he'd gotten dro- dropped 11 times in the first two games. So shout out Chris Strausser shout out to the O-line this week that was out there. They all started and played every single snap offensively as did Stroud. And then on the other side of the ball, there were some guys, three, like the secondary played every snap, the, the two corners and the two safeties that started. But I got to go with that pass protection because that is no small feat. It doesn't matter if you're playing a team that has a TJ Watt or a team like the Falcons who don't have as many you know notable names, they can still get after the passer. So I got to yep. go with them now. They all agree. They'll all say, Hey, the dam's gotta gotta break sometime soon on the run game. We gotta get get things going and run the ball better. They'll tell you that. But as far as pass pro goes, I've been very, very impressed.
0: Yeah, there have been many years, the last few years in particular, where a team would rush four. We'd have five to block and somebody would get home. And now you rush four, you're not you're not getting close. Um, those guys I thought played very, very well together. And you're right. And I've, I've thought about this a lot, Drew. I've thought about what, what is harder to – what's harder to do in this offense, to be a great run blocking unit or to be a great pass blocking unit. And I, I've always kind of thought that pass blocking would be a, a lot more difficult because, you know, your slide protections, your split protections, your 5-0 protections, all the different types of protections you have, And then teams start getting exotic on third down, so you're doing some maybe specific things to that particular team, whereas run block, boo, you follow your rules, you know. Um, But I think in this offense, it's probably a little bit more difficult to get that synergy in the run game. I feel like those links in the chain have got to all be moving together to really get it going, and I think that's part of the reason, to your point earlier, this – you know, if we go with the same offensive line this week, That'll be just the second time we've had consecutive starting offensive lines that are the same. And I think that's where we're going to start to see some of the continuity in the run game start to pay off continuity in the offensive line start to pay off. So, you know, we'll see how that, how that transpires, but you've had four different offensive lines in five weeks. I mean, you don't get synergy that way. I mean, you don't get continuity that way. You're teaching things the same way. And, and uh, coach Strausser and, and Cole Popovich coach Popovich are, are coaching it together the same way, but it's different personnel. So there are things you can do with Titus that you maybe couldn't do with Kendrick or some things you do with Kendrick that you don't do with Titus, etc. So you gotta put all that together uh and try and get it going. But you're right, the pass protection though has been I mean it was it was stellar. Three straight weeks with how many different starting offensive linemen? I mean if if you go with it's it's seven different starting offensive lineman the last three or four weeks, the last three or four games. It's been incredible to do that.
6: Look at who's played left tackle this year. Yeah, yeah exactly. Josh Jones. I mean, the, the list goes on and on.
0: Yeah. played there. Yeah. Christian played there in the game against the Steelers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible what they've been able to do.
6: Yeah. Okay. Let's flip the page. Let's turn it over to the Saints coming to town. Saints are, man, 34 nothing. They start things off with a Tyron Matthew pick six, and they scored in every quarter. They never trailed. It's hard to trail when you don't give up a point. <laughs> yeah, and, <exactly. laughs> uh, picked off. They picked off uh, Mac Jones twice. They get three takeaways, and on top of all that, they basically doubled them up time of possession. They had, they had the ball for thirty nine minutes and twenty four yep. seconds. Goodness gracious, that's a drubbing. Now listen, we know. Patriots are down; they're not who they used to be. But I don't care, man. That's a that's a whooping that you just put on a team on the road, long flight. It's a tough place to play. Just no matter who's you know suiting up in that Patriot uniform. But who's your under the radar Texan that you got to watch this week?
0: Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna pick a specific linebacker because we don't know the status of Christian Harris. But I'm going with. I'm going with the, the linebacker crew with, because of one guy um, and that's the, that's the human option route. Um, and that's Calvin, uh, it's Alvin Camaro. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, you know, for, for people that don't know what an option route is, it's pretty simple. It's, he has the option to go in or out, depending on what the coverage is. And so he's so quick and so good and explosive that it's very difficult for linebackers to cover him because he gets up on them, they freeze and then he fakes one way goes the other and they're lost and that's an easy seven yards and now he's back he runs the ball extremely well um it's it's really tough and that puts the onus on the linebackers to have to handle that now Derek um like Kenny Pickett not going to run out of the pocket very much he can when he needs to but it's kind of a last resort sort of thing whereas Ritter was going to do it a little bit more he didn't have to do it as much the other day but I think the linebackers with Camara that's going to be tough Foster Moreau Catching the ball as a tight end—that's going to be tough. So I think the linebackers have their hands full trying to tangle with Alvin Kamara, especially this week.
6: That's a good one. Uh, mine is going to be kind of along those lines because of that threat from Kamara. I'm going to go with Jalen Petrie. I think he'll get yep. one. he'll get thrown in that mix of of being having a responsibility for him too. And I want to see the Texans get a goodness gracious. I'm I'm going to send out this email here in the next few hours, and oh, I send no. you DP. And Mark, and it's the plus minus. It's the turnover differential. Yeah. Email that I send once a week on Tuesdays, every season. I've been doing it for about yep, five yep. years now. Texans, I don't I haven't looked yet, but they've got to be up even higher. They were top 10 in turnover differential going into last week, and then they're plus two. Plus two. Yeah. And they lose. Oh, they yeah. they held Bijan Robs. That that's gonna be a, a segment, not a segment, but a part of this podcast moving forward. The what if I told you? Yeah. Whereas, what if I told you the Texans were plus two? They held Bijan Robinson to less than hundred yards, and da 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 da. I'm going to start doing that because yeah. we can drive ourselves crazy and uh, make ourselves manic by by going over the what if I told you, and then yeah. something bad happens.
0: Yeah, I mean that was one of those that what if I told you you're going to hold Bijan to what? What do you have? 50, Fifty yards, not even. Yeah. What if I told you you're going to win a turnover battle? What if yeah. I told you that uh, you weren't going to turn the ball over at all? I was like, well, yeah, you're gonna win. you're gonna win going away.
6: will get sacked. Away. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no sacks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. now the flip side of all that was you didn't run the ball exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, and you didn't get any sacks on them. Yeah. And Desmond Ritter played out of his freaking mind. Um, and I was happy for him from that standpoint.
6: That guy's um, good. I didn't like, I didn't like really well. it
0: from us, but I, I have a lot of respect for Desmond Ritter and I hope that he turned into a really good quarterback for the Falcons.
6: How about that stat that you guys brought up, and we, we're going to move on to uh, to some other things. But how about that stat y'all brought up with Andre Ware on the radio yesterday? He has not lost a home game yeah. in college or the pros. And who knows? I can't. I wonder what his high school. I can look that up probably. But yeah, that's a that's a, an amazing stat. 30,
0: 31 and O at home. Thirty-one and O at home. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. But the thing was is, you know, you could look back at his Cincinnati career and say, okay, there were times, you know, he had Sauce Gardner. You know, yeah. on defense, and they had some other dudes on defense, so there were times okay they, they won a, a, you know a few games that way, but he was so good on Sunday against us. I mean, it was the one kind of variable you, I don't want to say you counted out, but you know there had been so much noise about him not being the starting quarterback, and then he rises up and has one of the best performances we've seen from a quarterback this year I mean it was it was uh, I mean kudos hats off to him because that was an incredible performance that it was, and the guy who strung together many of them in Houston. Hall of Famer Robert Brazil. He joins Mark and I next, right here on Texans All Access. What better way to finish a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access than with a Hall of Famer, and not John McClain. He'll be with us tomorrow, but Robert Brazil, former Houston Oilers, Jackson State star. He joined us the day the Tax Act Texas Bowl Legends class was announced, and we chatted about the legends. Being a legend, which players did he love to face? Which ones were hard to tackle? In his relationship with Walter Payton. Take a listen.
1: And Robert Brazil, known as Dr. Doom. Brazil is 240 pounds of pure football player. Brazil's calling card is his quickness. More often than not, he is as swift as any player on the field. He's the sort of player who's not satisfied merely with doing his best. He wants to be the best, and he probably is. Test, 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 test. This. That's good. No, we got you. We got you. All right. actually, Robert, Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and make sure if you could, uh, Robert, just to stay like with within five, six yeah. inches. You'll be talking this way to us. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That works out well that way. Right here?
7: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you're good. Jump, jump, jump. You're good. Okay.
1: All right, here we chum, go. Chum, We're rolling. Chum, chum. All right. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, it's Robert Brazil, Texas Gridiron legend yeah. just
7: announced. How's it going? Doing great, man. It's always a pleasure to be back in Houston. This is where I got my start at. This is the only home that I uh, lived here for years during my professional career. And to be back for the Texan legend is an honor to see another class go in. You know, this Bruce Matthews guy is always following me, or <laughs> yeah. I'm following him. This yeah. guy played 19 years, Ooh. man. And the thing about it, he broke my record. He didn't miss a game and I didn't miss a game. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, thought about, I thought about
0: that yesterday because we were in Atlanta and they announced at some point that Bruce's son Jake has played hundred fifty straight games or something like that on top
7: of what Bruce did. Uh-huh. So how many did you play in a row? Ten years. I think it was 175, 76. Mm. Back
6: Never then, missed it. Never, my missed, a Never mm. missed a snap. Never
7: missed a snap. Now, you could have gone on longer, right? Yes, but, you know, I made the idea that I need to retire. It's a long story. We won't get into that. That's (laughs) another part of me that I don't think you still want to hear today. (laughs) Okay.
0: So how long did it take, Robert, to don't get into that story, but how long did it take for the desire to want to continue to play kind of leave at some point? Because guys retire and they're like, man, I think I can still play. I think I can still play. How long did it take for it to be like, you know what? I'm
7: good. I, my career was great. I'm all set. For me, it happened at the Hall of Fame game. You know, uh, I was in my 11th year mm-hmm. and I had never missed a game. Started right. every game for the Houston Oilers. And two hours before the game, I get a. Kenny, Kenny Houston walks to me tell me the head coach wants to talk to me. And I said, whoa, what's going on? In my head, they never mentioned mm-hmm. it. So I go to him, and he told me that he's going to start the younger guys. Oh. And I looked at Hugh Cameron, and I said, as of right now, Robert Brazil is going to retire. Right, right. That was <laughs> so it. that was my ending of it. And I had to make a decision for me. You know, I had lost a wife and everything mm-hmm. during that time. Yeah. And so... I think I made the right decision for me, but it took too long for me to get into the Pro Football yeah. Hall of Fame. I got scared out yeah. there waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but you got in, but yeah, you, I did. your
0: resume was great enough to yeah, get in. I had
7: you know, but the thing about it, I always wanted to play against Lawrence Taylor. And he was mm-hmm. also in that same game. Yeah, yeah and me and him had talked before that game. I said, Lawrence, I think it's time for us to show who's gonna be the better linebacker and so I never got my shot.
1: Yeah. Oh, that would have been so nice, too. Sweet.
7: We're still friends.
1: And you lo- you are that's good. Yes. And you look back, and sacks were not an official statistic till that's what eighty two, right? That's that's so true. that didn't help you either, as far as although you made all those pro, all pros, you're in the Hall of Fame. So I guess it didn't really hurt. But that must have been kind of strange when oh now you tell me that now you tell me that- that- <laughs> you count my sacks. I
7: said what if, let's go back to and pull those films up. Yeah. So Lawrence, uh, you know, he always he was I was his idol to the mm-hmm. point that he wanted to meet me. We both had the same agent, Jerry Argovich and Gene oh, okay. Burrell during that time. And he would not sign until I went to his college to sit down for him to bust my brains for three hours about football. And we sit there and laugh and talk. And he took Robert Brazil's game to another level. Mm. Honestly, you know, they could going say about a lot of junkyard dogs, but he was really a junkyard dog when it came to playing outside football. Yeah, uh, he linebacker. definitely was. So, Robert, I want to go to the moment
0: that you find out that you've made the Hall of Fame? When you get that call, you get that knock,
7: what was that like? You gotta think about it, it took 29 years, right. and every other year I was getting, um, you know, I get to say, the year in this final, the year are in this. Yeah. But when they called me, I cried. I mean, yeah. you know, because I wanted this so much. We had been through so much that year. My dad had been diagnosed for cancer, right. mm-hmm. and, I'm saying ah, what I'm gonna do. I don't have a bomb to present me. I don't have none of my coaches here that really paid a big a big part of me, so I took it to to i mean just overwhelm me yeah I mean yeah. so but we validated everything that I had right. waited so long for and to not to show some emotion I don't think I would I couldn't feel like I feel today behind it, yeah.
1: Robert Brazil joining us on Texans Radio. Texas gridiron legend in the current class, the new class, along with Bruce Matthews and others. Robert, I wanted to go here because, indulge me, tougher to tackle. (laughs) I want to do this. Okay. All right, so O.J. Simpson... Or Franco Harris or Walter Payton. You probably didn't have too many meetups with Walter because he's in the NFC. I had
7: four years of I practiced against him every yeah, day. Every day. Every day and had to sleep in the same room so because I, of the college was, situation at Jackson State. Was, I know yeah. how to tackle Walter better than anybody in this world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. But as a pro, how many times did you guys see each other? Oh, I gave him third of one. I don't know the exact number, but they came here and we played Houston and I mm-hmm. had I instead Walter and I knew Walter. And I got my defense ready for Walter, and I think he got close to thirty three. I said I ain't gonna let you get thirty four today, so okay. maybe thirty somewhere. Now he got. He was going for the, to break the record, OJ's record. Okay. And I, 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 I know he was going to try to get it against me. <laughs> and he knew I was going to not let him happen, so he would not speak to me after the game. Really, that's he's that attitude. competitive. That's the that's how that's, that's the competitive we had. My wife had to take me by the hand and take me up on the bus and say. Speak to Walter, make him feel better. <laughs> and <laughs> before he leaves leave Houston, going back to Chicago with that, that meanness, he's going to get you back somewhere or another. Yeah.
0: Okay, to Mark's question OJ or Franco, tougher to tackle? Neither one. Both of the
7: sandwiches.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do quarterbacks. Let's do quarterbacks. How many times did you see Tarkenton? Because he must have been tough
7: if you saw him. No. No? I didn't. We, my. Cl- hardest one with, I would think, would have been Roger the Dodger. Yeah. Yep. I did eat okay. Another sandwich. All right. Ted Bradshaw. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Kenny Anderson. I can't mm. tell you how I tackled him one time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But, uh, it was fun, man. It was very competitive, and still, I think Ken Anderson is deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, and it's not there yet. So outstanding to quarterback, yeah. no doubt for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yep, yeah, he
0: was. You, when you start going through those names, obviously Roger Staubach was a different one because he's kind of like today's quarterbacks; they're moving all over the place. He was, but you were straight drop back passers back then. Robert, did you? Was it more fun to go against those guys because you knew exactly where they were going to be, so you could sack them, or was it more of a challenge to go find Roger Staubach chasing around over the field, and you finally you sack him after chasing him a little bit? I don't
7: care who was that quarterback. I want them to know in two and a half seconds they need to know where Robert Brazil is right. because I'm coming mm-hmm. at you. Right. So mm-hmm. I didn't care who it was. So it was, it was more fun for me to get off in my game right. and more or less into their game. I always was so. Ready to show them what I had to bring to the table. Right. All right. We watch practice now,
1: Robert, and you're really not bringing people to the ground. You're not really tackling them at training camp, and certainly not in regular season practice. It's more of a wrap up or thud or whatever they call it. But back in the day, you and Earl going at it in practice, how was that facing Earl Campbell when the Oilers practiced? And how physical would it get, especially in the early summer training camp times? How was that?
7: When, we first, when Earl first got here, you know, I was used to walk the first of all. 120 miles an hour, every yeah. play. We got here, and I went and hit Earl. Bomb blew his whistle. And he said, Robert? He called me and Earl over. I said, Coach, what's wrong? He said, Robert. I said, what, Coach? He said, The Houston Oilers is not on our schedule. (laughs) If you heard Earl, who's going to pay for it? I said, Coach, how am I going to keep his game together and my game together? He said, Robert, I'm going to say this again. The Houston Oilers is not on our schedule. And he cut out the. He cut it out. Okay. Wow. Robert,
0: I want to ask you, and I know this gets brought up a lot, about the Love Your Blue era. What was this town like? when you guys were in that run, especially 78-79, when you're playing the championship games against Pittsburgh, games against Pittsburgh, the Monday night game against Miami, Mm -hmm. when that was really kind of the love your blue era really kind of kicking off. What was that really like for a player during that time to be here during that era?
7: For me, it was to try to win every game in the Astrodome. And then when we went off to win every game, we had finally won our fans. Yeah. When I got here, it was nothing but Cowboy fans. Yeah. And I couldn't understand that. Mm. People was cheering for Dallas, and I'm saying, "I'm you, know, you live here in Houston. I said, I know we can stop this. All we got to do is start winning, and mm-hmm. we'll get our fans. And when we got our fans, man, let me tell you something. I still get fan mail, telephone calls. I can't ride around in Houston now. Without somebody to say, I remember the love you blue. Right. I went shopping with a couple of guys today, and a guy said that's Robert Brazil, and I am seventy one years old, and somebody can still recognize me. Yeah, and when I am walking through the gallery saying that's Robert Brazil, that feeling. Yeah, and I would still say this: we owe them a championship, and the championship not gonna have to come from the Texas because we're gone. You yeah, know what I mean it's no more Houston this here. I mean we're in the Tennessee, we're a Tennessee Titans now, and we've mm-hmm. been adapted by those, but. These fans here are so large. So I'm going to tell Coach, all he got to do is keep winning. And he got a good team here. I've seen some great things with the Texans, y'all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that little quarterback. Mm, mm-hmm. I told Coach I had a signing bonus left.
1: <laughs> 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 you yeah. didn't mention anything about playing, just a signing bonus. Just a signing bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so John McClain announcing the Texas gridiron class what does John McClain mean to you and mean to guys who have played in this town for a long time and people who have made it, or not, to the Hall of Fame, but John McClain, because we have a lot of people moving into the city and they discover who John McClain is. Who is John McClain? Tell us what John McClain means to you.
7: John McClain, you know, when we was all growing up, I know y'all had what we call some world book encyclopedias. Yeah. I described John as the world book encyclopedia. Now he's a great Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but to because there's other people I think that's deserving, man, to go into the Hall of Fame, and these young guys don't know him, and you can't promote him. John McClain sold Robert Brazil to get to the Hall of Fame. He bought me out of the woodwork. He had some, some, you know, put some stuff in the, in the cake that he needed. Yeah. <laughs> All he had to do was put me in the oven and bake me. Right. Yeah. But he's knowledgeable of the name, The General. Mm-hmm. He's knowledgeable of that name, and I owe him, and I will always, John, the only person in the media who's probably been invited to my house to sleep in my bed without my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, as you, mentioned, you mentioned
0: Ken Anderson about going into the Hall of Fame. Is there a player that you played against that you feel like, you know what, I think that, or played with, that you feel like that guy I think should have gone into the Hall of Fame or should go into the Hall of Fame?
7: that's numerous, numerous of players. Yeah, mm. I think about the L.C. Greenwoods. Yeah, think about the red Gratishards. Yeah, I mean, I think about the, yeah, I mean, mm. think about the uh, Tom Jacksons. I think about Isaac Curtis. I think about uh, just in my conference, there's yeah, three yeah. or four people that hadn't yeah. been touched yet, and the name hadn't been bought up. And I know how they feel. I was there, man. I mm. I was there waiting with every stat that you had, that I had, and they had to become. It's it's a hard decision for the people that's trying to make that decision, yep. and when you don't have people like we said, John McClain in these other cities, right. some of these guys are gonna go under watch, unheard, yeah. or they won't get the opportunity yep. to be in the, you know, ain't but three hundred seventy one, and y'all sitting with the Hall of Famer three twelve, mm. yeah, amazing. And that's an honor. That's well, we're very, for me. we're Not very glad you're in, and we're yep. very
1: glad you're a Texas
7: gridiron legend. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank joining you. us, Robert. Thank you. Thank y'all for having me. Anything I can do for you, all you got to do is call me, baby. All right. I love (laughs) Houston. Thank you.
0: Robert Brazil loves Houston. So do Mark and I. We love Houston. We love you. We love the people that participated on this show. A big thanks to Nick Casario. Uh, Also to Dalton Schultz, to DP Sidu, to Drew Doherty, to Mike Haas, Saints play-by-play man, and, of course, our Hall of Famer, Robert Brazil. Thank you so
6: much for listening. We will see you next time. And, as always, go Texans.